Hey there, and welcome to episode 29 of the Eyes Free Sports podcast. Once again, this is your host here with you, Greg Lindbergh. On this episode of the Oz Free Sports Podcast, we are hopping on a skateboard and exploring the world of accessible skateboarding for the blind and visually impaired. And we're visiting with two guests uh, in the Calgary, Alberta, Canada area who have developed uh, programs on their own and are looking to collaborate and work together now to get uh, blind and visually impaired youth onto skateboards and uh, out there at skate parks and just having a whirl of fun. So let's get into episode 29. All right, so joining me on this episode of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast, I'd like to welcome two guests to this episode. Uh, first off, I'd like to welcome Matt Jans. Uh, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Appreciate you joining me here. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And then uh, we also have Curtis Ruddle. Curtis, welcome. Morning. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. You're very welcome. Appreciate the time. So on this episode, we are talking about skateboarding uh, for the blind and visually impaired. And uh, this is something we've never really chatted about at all on the podcast. So really looking forward to, you know, introducing our listeners to a sport, a really cool recreational activity that, uh, you know, many would assume a blind person could not do. But once again, with just a few simple adaptations... Uh, it's just another example of, of something that actually can be done. So let's uh, let's go ahead and start with Matt first. Uh, Matt, if you could just introduce yourself, talk about where you're from, where you grew up, uh, your early years. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm from Calgary, Alberta. I uh, was born and raised here. Uh, and I was born in like the south end of the city, which is uh, tons of green space. And um, so I grew up really active. Um, I have to thank my father for always showing me everything like mountain biking and snowboarding. And I found his skateboard from the seventies, his skateboard, um, (laughs) I found when I was just a little kid. So I actually started skateboarding really, really early. Just grew up active, went to school here in Calgary, uh, got my uh, journalism degree at SAIT, uh, the the, uh, Polytechnic here in, in Calgary, and then also finished off a degree in communications at the University of Calgary, and then I've just been working kind of in skateboarding ever since, um, just throughout my 20s, just doing, uh, as a volunteer, uh, running kids' skateboard camps and clubs and lessons um, just for the past, like, 10 years now. Um, and then got into low-vision skateboarding uh, just for the past two years, I think, right, Curtis? We've been doing it. Yeah. I think the whole thing has been, like, about two years. Yeah. Born and raised uh, active person, but truly a skateboarder. I think skateboarding is like my my one main thing where I really give it my all, and I also fall a lot, so lots of scarring on my elbows. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey, those scars definitely show your passion, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, Matt, as far as your visual impairment, talk to me about that. Yeah, so I have uh, retinitis pigmentosa. Um, found out pretty early because my grandfather on my mom's side had it. We knew about it all along. We were watching Forrest in uh, my sisters and me. I have two sisters. Um, so we're just like watching for it and, and being ready kind of. My mom was pretty proactive with my health and she knew that this could be like retinitis is hereditary. So we actually found it super young and we were super on the ball with getting me connected with like CNIB. I remember going through mobility and orientation still when I did when I had a ton of vision still and and thinking that this was a waste of time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just have always known that I've had RP, and um, 
and then it's just been I've just been living with vision loss, kind of with my head a little bit wrapped around it as much as you can be since I was I think nine or ten or really really young. Sure, sure. And then yeah. what's what's kind of your current vision? How would you describe it? So I'm I'm sub twenty percent. I don't know too much. I haven't been to my doctor in a little while. I was actually supposed to do some update stuff with my doctor uh, before COVID, but then COVID all gumped everything up. So yep. uh, I know I have less than twenty percent. And um, right now, I just have a small window of peripheral vision, or uh, sorry, a small window of central vision. It's all right. It's really distorted though, so I can't read or recognize people. And then the rest of my peripheral vision is just all, I call it, um, it's just really crusty and blobby and flashing light. So I call it my, you know, I'm looking through a crusty donut. That's kind of my descriptive word. Gotcha. But yeah, um, yeah just, just a ton of missing peripheral vision and, and horrible low light vision. Sure, sure. I see. Yeah. And uh, Curtis, let's go to you. Uh, introduce yourself. Talk to me about where you were born, where you're. You know, you currently reside, and just a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so for me, uh, same with Matt. So I'm from Calgary, Alberta, born and raised here. And so that's where I've been. Currently, I'm in my first year of high school, and I'm actually doing a self-directed high school. So that's kind of interesting. Again, I've been very, very active my entire life. I've always done some form of sport in some way or another. I started young with just kind of the traditionals of, per se, like running, soccer, swimming, different things like that. And then as I got older, we found more, uh, I guess you could say, vision-impaired friendly. So now I'm in a bunch of adaptive sports as well. And I'm sure I'll touch on more of those later on in this conversation. But skiing, blind hockey, now I'm adding skateboarding to that list, um, and many more, right? And so my vision impairment, I actually have an eye condition called aniridia, which is a genetic eye condition. So I've had it my entire life. So I haven't really known any better, but I, I have about 10% vision. And then, of course, you have all of the uh, things that come on top of that, with such as nystagmus, cataract, etc. So currently, I sit at about 2,200, and it's fairly good, I guess you could say, considering it's all I know. Curtis, you need to say your fun fact about how many people are living in Canada with your condition. <laughs> um, yeah, so in our pro- so in the province of Alberta, as far as we know, there are only uh, th- four, sorry four of us with my condition, and three of us are in one house. So that puts it into perspective of what it is really. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> Super rare. Yeah. Mm. All right, so then uh, diving into sports. Uh, so, Matt, going back to you, talk to me about, uh, you know, kind of the, the first sports maybe you started playing as a kid, and and then we can transition into skateboarding and how you got into that. First sport, I think, in our household, typically in Calgary, hockey is super big, and, <laughs> and yep. uh, that was my first sport. I think I was on skates really young, four or five years old. I was actually on skis, but now that I think about it, too, at, at two years old. Wow. Just, but between my, between my dad's legs, you know how he'd hold, he'd hold me by my armpits and then just ski with me between his legs? Yeah. So, 
like I said, I have I have everything to I owe my father for everything in terms of my active lifestyle because he really got me out. But skiing, skiing was right away two years old. I was a goofy little, you know, just a cute, cute little thing at the ski hill. And then also hockey. I was actually a pretty fairly prolific little young hockey player. I was on representative teams, so um, my dad was stoked that I was going to the NHL before um, some health issues kind of sidelined me and turned me off of being a, being you know having to travel to Black Diamond south of Calgary at 5 a.m. to practice. Right. So and then I started losing vision and hockey started becoming a little bit more difficult so that kind of went out the window um, but I was still pretty active after that I still played basketball like community basketball and uh, sports uh, or uh, school basketball and volleyball even though I was like the blind kid on the team and the coach would like put me in for sympathy yeah. <laughs> I guess <laughs> or to check the inclusive box right um but then uh, I was also really into mountain biking as well before I lost a bunch of vision. Tons of climbing, like around Calgary, we live right close to the mountains. And we have areas like um, Kananaskis Country and Banff National Park and, uh, you know, towns like Canmore and Fernie and all this. If you want to look all that stuff up, there's just amazing skiing and, and mountain biking there. So we, we really got out doing a ton of mountain biking as a teenager. And then what else? What else I do? Active. And then skateboarding, man. Just as a young kid, I remember going down finding my dad's old board that he had when he was young and really little, I think maybe five or six, going down my driveway for the first time and like surviving that uh, bump, you know, like uh, some driveways have that like bump at the end of them where you dump on onto the road. Right. And the first time I went down standing on my feet and survived that like bump and, and made it past, that was like a clicking moment. That was like a, a revelation of how fun skateboarding can be even just at a very young age so so along with like mountain biking and hockey and basketball and, and volleyball track and field whatever i do with school i just always had skateboarding kind of nagging at the background gotcha. for me. so really really active growing up and i i'm super thankful for that lifestyle and i hope to pass it on to my children as well very cool and then in terms of and in terms of skateboarding actually i went out to i went out for a, like i did a gap year kind of between high school and my journalism schooling here in Calgary. I actually lived in Abbotsford, British Columbia, kind of Vancouver, greater Vancouver area. And that was when I was 19, 20 years old. And then um, that's where I started really skateboarding. Like I had access to Vancouver, the city. Abbotsford itself is a great place to skateboard. They just pour asphalt everywhere. There's like no building code that I could see in terms of where they would lay asphalt. <laughs> so the whole, that whole place is just a giant skate park, really, if you're creative enough. And so when I was 20, these other sports kind of fell by the wayside while I really got into skateboarding, kind of as an adult. So um, since then, like from 20 till now, I'm 31 now, I've been really skateboarding quite aggressively, um, even even despite having lost a ton of vision over the past five years. Right. Very cool. Yeah. Nice. And then, uh, Curtis, back to you. Just tell me a little more about your, your sports athletic journey and also kind of what, uh, you know, inspired you to get into skateboarding as well. Yeah. So for me, um, as I had mentioned earlier, I've always been involved in some sort of sports in some form or another. Uh, and that's more or less because of my parents as well, because they never were the ones to say, no, you can't do this or however that looks. And we've always gotten people saying, like, oh, you're letting them do that? They they could get hurt, or this could happen, or that could happen, right? But at this point, it's just all we know. And why why say no to it? Let's, let's go figure it out. So I've always been in some sports, as I've said, 
So, as I had mentioned, I, I used to swim, I used to play soccer, I ride a bike, hike, do all of these things. I also used to play hockey when I was very, very young, like in what they called the Timbit League. Um, <laughs> and that was for the little ones. And that was before we kind of realized, before got into bigger leagues and whatever. And it was kind of like, do we bring me out of this? Because would I be able to follow the putt, trace it, follow the play well enough kind of thing? So I ended up coming out. And then just, I want to say five years ago or so, we found Blind Hockey. So now I'm very involved within the Blind Hockey Club here in Calgary, as well as Canadian Blind Hockey. And I mentioned that I ski. So... I've been skiing with CADS, which is the Canadian Adaptive Skiing, for quite a while now. And I've even had the race team coach come and talk to me a couple of times. Um, And as I said, now we're in skateboarding. We're trying to expand. But really, I do, like, you give me a sport, I will pretty much try it or You say, have you tried this? I've pretty much tried it. I've done so many, it's uncountable to be able to uh, list them all off. But yeah, I got into skateboard actually because of Matt. And so with an organization here, he, for the blind sports, Matt was working with them and was hosting like try it programs. And I finally went out to one of those and instantly fell in love with it. And I think it was just because of Matt and his volunteers making it such a great community and environment to learn in. That's how I clicked to it so much. And I remember that first day that I was, uh, that I started, there were actually two events the same day. (laughs) So I got extra. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's ever, it's always kind of been since then. And whenever I skateboard or whatever, it's always with Matt. And that's how the idea, well, I guess you could say both me and Matt, we had the idea of accessible skateboarding and making it grow bigger. And Matt had already worked on some things and already had some of his, but we went and we teamed up and expanded that. That's awesome. And I know that both of you, uh, as you mentioned, Curtis, uh, both of you have... Uh, these two endeavors that you're involved in, and, and I definitely want to get into more of those, you know, more more in depth here. And uh, Matt, I understand that you have, uh, it's called skate bats, correct? Yeah, skate bats. So a, co- a common term, in, in a term of endearment in skateboarding is skate rats, R-A-T-S. Hmm. And a skate, a skate rat is a, is a, he's the kid who's always at the skate park. Or always at the skate shop, or you know, so involved with skateboarding. Right, so almost like, like a gym rat. That, that one kid, kind of like a, I guess in hockey that you call them a rink rat. That's the kid who's always at the rink. Sure, or gym but, rat. Yeah. But yeah, totally, exactly. So <laughs> skateboarding has its own little version of that. Hmm. But when I was coming up with my program specific for low vision kids, that name Skate Bats just kind of it just kind of came to me. It was kind of funny. Uh, it was a funny little rhyme. <laughs> but then it also kind of means a lot to me just because of. Like, biologically speaking, bats get around so well with, you know, not really relying on their vision. Or, like, uh, lots of species of bats don't really rely on their vision too much. And that's kind of the way I'm going with my vision loss, and that's the way that Curtis has always been 
with his condition and, and that's just how we're starting to make skateboarding work for ourselves is that we we don't worry about our eyesight anymore. We just are starting to focus on other ways of getting around. So that's kind of how that name, Skatebats, came about. And um, now I have a logo and stickers and I'm stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And talk to me about yeah. the, the programs you offer, events you've had, and just, you know, everything you've done with that. Sure. Well, I, it's not... It's not too complicated yet. I, I, I would like for it to grow and, and stuff, but for now, all, all I'm doing is just running lessons, sure. uh, skateboard lessons that are just specific to low vision kids. So I just use my own, I guess, unique uh, perspective as a, as a skateboarder um, and as someone who's losing their vision to really just like help low vision kids approach skateboarding as safely as possible and as enjoyably as possible. So that's kind of how my lessons go. and, and that's, I think that's that's all that Skate Bats is for the time being. I mean, until Curtis came along and with his brilliant organizational mind expanded this, this our program into this huge accessibility project. But for now, for the time being, Skate Bats is just like really, really personal, super uh, easy, manageable, and safe. Uh, it's a safe way for kids, kids with low vision or no vision to uh, approach skateboarding. And I think, uh, I think it's been, pretty good hey Curtis like we haven't heard anyone yet have we <laughs> you. no we haven't yeah right you know you. Uh, I don't think I don't think you have um but from what I've been a part of it it's gone so well and as I said um Matt and his volunteers just made it such a great environment to learn in and I I remember like Matt was like this is the second time you've been skateboarding and you're great. Like you're doing this, you're crazy. And <laughs> with my sister Cassandra, it's that same thing. Like this is the, however many times that you've been doing this, you're, you're doing this, this would take uh, other people like this long. You're crazy for doing this. Like all of these, a great environment. And it went so well in my opinion. That's awesome. So that's what I have to offer, I guess, is I've been working with, um, ASRAB, that's the Alberta Sports and Rec Association for the Blind here in Alberta, in Calgary and Edmonton and stuff. So we've just been, my main program has just been tryout style events, we call them, where kids can just come low pressure. They don't have to perform or do anything crazy, even though, you know, some kids do like Curtis and his sister. <laughs> but like, yeah, like it's anything, it's any lessons, like either from standing on the board and then getting off, or if they, if they feel like it, they can learn how to push and then eventually get their make our way onto some really mellow ramps that we have set up for them. Or if they're like, you know, I've had some kids show up and not be interested in, in skateboarding at all, but they're super, they've never been in a skate park environment. Hmm. And so that's like, even just to walk around and learn about how that environment works, kinesthetically and spatially. I mean, that's even part of my lesson plan too, is just to walk around and explore. Cause I've taught kids with, I've taught kids with absolutely no visions who, are in the skate parks, but they don't know that they're in a skate park or what it even looks like or what it or what that even means. So I've you know I've taught kids just to walk up and down a steep ramp before, and that's been a, a cool experience experience for them. So yeah, super mellow, super laid back, and then just uh, I make sure everything is really like all the things they learn is super attainable right away. Yep. Just so that they have these little small victories to like build on, and then. And then I make sure that they call themselves skateboarders right away just because that's such a cool title. Like, it took me forever to get Curtis and his sister to call themselves skateboarders, and I just had to drill it into them. Like, you, like, you guys skateboard, you're like, you can call yourself skateboarders. 
<laughs> yeah, it would so. be it. It would just be out of nowhere, out of random. Uh, whatever we're doing, like we're going out or whatever. Matt, are you a skateboarder? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> skateboarding but then also giving them access to skateboard culture and making them feel included and and all this stuff so I have sponsorship programs with our local shop and guys here who give them access to equipment and so inclusiveness and safety and approachability is all that's all the main features right very nice and then Curtis uh, talk to me about Alt Root and your project yeah so kind of going back to how this all started um so I'm actually a member of the CNID National Youth Council. And within, through them, I actually was given the opportunity to get a grant, well, a couple of them, depending on what you were doing and what level and whatever. So I was given this opportunity and uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to work on, if anything. But the guy I had talked to in the one information session, he kind of was like, what do you miss? What do you miss about the, I guess you could say, regular world before COVID hit? And um, I was like, sports. And then we got talking about different sports and skateboarding came up. And then we, and then one thing led to another, led to another. And here we are kind of now. And so I came out, out of that and I was like, okay, I kind of want to work on this. Because as I had mentioned, Matt kind of had different things to set out. Matt already had some techniques he was working with. And we actually were testing and messing around with a new one right before COVID hit. And uh, his try-it sessions or programs, whatever you want to call them, got shut down. And so I thought it was kind of a good time. And so this was August. And then... So we're moving in. So afterwards, I called Matt and was like, do you want to do this? Like, here's my proposal. Right away, was on board. And so we started talking about different things. We we had this little, little thing um, for a $250 grant. Like, we, we were like, 250 is a lot for where we're at. That's going to get us really, really going. It was a super small idea. Every time we talk, it became so much bigger. So now we are here at the $1,500 grant level, the highest one we could get throughout these grants. Um, right. And we and ideas are just flowing all over the place. Like, it, it was crazy. Long story short, uh, we, we ended up getting that, and we called it Alt-Route. And our main goal for this is to create safe, accessible, and inclusive skate park environments uh, for vision-impaired, low-vision youth. And right now we've focused on skateboarding, but we want to potentially expand it even further than skateboarding uh, in the future. And so we've been we've been working on that, and outside of this is more of the creating and implementing adaptations so we, uh, we've been working with one of the local skate parks here in Calgary. So the compound, which is the name of the skate park, and they were amazing and great to work with. So we got different sessions and time slots 
and we brought some kids in and we just said, we, we asked, we wanted to know what worked for them. We had a couple different methods in mind, but we, we really went in uh, without anything and we asked them, if you could do anything to this, what would you do to help you? And we tried to take as much of their feedback as possible to implement said adaptations. And so that's how that kind of all came about. And as I said, as we continued going, it just continued growing and growing and growing. Nice. Very cool. I did want to get into a little further, just specific adaptations. I understand that... uh... You know, there's several different techniques and things that you've kind of, you know, talked about using and different things as far as contrast and, uh, you know, haptic feedback, tactile strategies, whatnot. If you could just explain maybe some of those adaptations a little more. Oh, for sure. So some of the adaptations uh, that we have came up with that we found that worked decent, uh, fairly well, actually. So we have been using bright fluorescent colored duct tape so we've found that like pink and white those two make a good uh contrast level put put together um and so we've been using those high contrasts to mark like guidelines or to be able to say if you follow this line essentially you're going to be safe you're not going to run into anything or, um, or fall off of something. <laughs> that do. Yeah. Um, and transition markers. Something we found was very important was a lot of people can't figure out where the transition from the flat ground into the ramp went. So we were putting tape, fluorescent tape, on the like where the ramp would transition from the floor. And that was a huge uh, help for myself included, a lot of people, uh, because it it allowed you to be confident in going for the ramp, but also knowing you need to prepare yourself and whatever you were wanting to do, right? Um, As you had mentioned, we've been, we have talked about haptic feedback um, and tactile strips, so those actually were very interesting and I think Matt can even speak a bit on that as well but we we put them across we we experimented with different things um we tried if for say danger like in front of like a drop or something or like in front of the stairs however that would go if you don't want to go and do that so that you didn't have to see it you would feel you would have the haptic feedback and know, oh, I don't want to go here. I need to get off my board, or yes, and I want to prepare myself to jump or whatever you're doing, right? And something that concerned us with that was whether or not these said strips were going to slow you down or throw you off your board or something. Um, but we found that it didn't if you were going at a right speed or if you were doing this or you, right? So we found that it didn't. And so we we implemented those and the and our participants actually had wanted them in front of the um, ramp going down so that you knew that if you hit it, you're going to go down the ramp. And I think it works really well, that one. 
Exactly. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, the haptic strips are they're kind they're kind of more my goal. I think like I love all the contrast stuff for kids with some vision, and of course I selfishly I love all the high contrast stuff so that I can continue to skateboard as aggressively as I do without you know crashing into a ramp or you know missing my timing. But uh, that all the haptic the under the foot feeling stuff like what, what we would do with our haptic the or the tactile strips is we would just lay down like thin gauge wire underneath a strip of that contrast duct tape hmm. and we would lay it in a pattern one like two two strips in a row or three strips in a row in a very strategic spot that will give you if you were to drop in on one ramp and you're heading towards another we would put it in a spot that is kind of maybe in the middle or just before the ramp so that you could create a sense of i guess timing and rhythm between between the ramps um just just so that there's more feedback underfoot for people, you know, with with much much less vision than just being partially sighted, so it's kind of more of a goal in terms of the way that I think with skate ads and teaching. I want to really develop methods that cater towards people who don't have any vision at all. Like that's kind of my my goal because I what what I'm finding uh, is that kids with some vision, while they do you know they do have to live with that vision loss, they still have enough vision to kind of get by. It's kind of, kind of like me and Curtis. We have enough vision to, you know, get by and kind of fake it till you make it. Sure. But I want to be, with skate pads, I want to be super prepared and have all these methods ready to go for people who are completely blind and and still get them, you know, or, you know, like completely blind or just 5% vision or 2% vision, you know, the people who are really down in that hole to still be able to come to skateboarding. So the haptics or the, I guess the tactile stuff um, I'm, I'm always, you know, kind of just in my head brainstorming ways that we can really make a skate park feel feel directional underneath underfoot rather than just relying on 10% vision or always, you know, always relying on vision, even if that gives you like I, if I if I use my vision too much, I get a huge headache. You know, I have to start thinking about no vision, especially with retinitis pigmentosa. Right. So haptic feedback or uh, tactile strips, you know, in places that, that warn you that you're coming to a drop, um, maybe directional ones that kind of make a, uh, a, a greater amount of sound, the more out of line you are with a ramp, or like if you're make, if you're heading straight, your, your boards aren't hitting any lines, they're, they're running parallel with your wheel. Um, and so like you can kind of get that feeling. I just want a to be able to develop this technique, this adaptive adaptation technique to really give skateboarding and the directionality of skateboarding a feel underfoot that, that way we can completely eliminate the need for vision, thereby really accommodating for people with tough, like absolutely no vision. So contrast was great. Um, we're really working on trying to get that feeling going to, mm -hmm. I think we're working on another thing that I, I want to try is a, kind of a track for uh, your cane, for people who skateboard with a cane, like like Dan Mancina in the in the states or Justin Bishop, these guys use their cane. That's right. And they, yeah, they they find stuff with their cane. And, and what I kind of want to do for people who are approaching skateboarding for the first time is is have like a track. I don't know what are we calling it cane track, Curtis. I think that's what it's it a goofy like Hot Wheels. <laughs> yeah, like that. yeah, that's kind of what's been talked around. Um, Totally. I kind of want to lay down a track, though, where if you sunk, sunk your cane your cane end into it, it would lead you down the path that you want to go. So maybe down one ramp across the skate park, up one ramp, and then down the other side. And then, hmm. you know, like there's this, there's this other unit that's 
kind of will guide your cane to where you need to go. And then if you're just following the direction of your cane, that's also where you want to be turning and leaning with your skateboard. So you don't have to like, maybe, maybe it's a thing that you do where you don't have to uh, fully sweep with your cane, like do the full O&M kind of method of sweeping, but you're just like following this. You're just following your cane as it kind of drags you around a little bit. So, right, right. right. I have ideas. I have ideas like that, and then many more that involve no vision that I really want to start implementing with projects like this, with like Curtis's help yeah. and all of the grant, you know, like all the grant supervisors who are just wanting to give Curtis way more money than we can handle for the time being, just because of you know, like lack of programming and COVID. And I mean, like the the grant supervisor for that Curtis was talking to, he was wanting us to take out multiple rounds of that $1,500 grant. So, and we were like, we don't know if we can even use that yet. Like we're just small time. We're just small peanuts. So right. I, we have the ideas and, and people have the money. Like the grants money is, is kind of like waiting for us. And, and yeah. So adaptation, yeah. The, the creativity between me and Curtis is, I think is really only just beginning in terms of how to, yeah. how to get people on a board. Well, for sure, and um, something else I kind of wanted to mention, just another adaptation, Matt, that we found works really well, was the LED light strips. Oh, like, totally, totally, we, yeah. We used, we used the lighting as well, um, yep. and that, was, that worked excellent for so many people, and uh, the thing about that was um, it could be brightened, dimmed, changed color, all of those totally. things which worked amazing and we used them on different ledges so we did on one side uh and then on the net so that they wouldn't blend into each other but so there was we had one kind of trick i guess you could say set up where you come along the ledge drop onto another ledge and drop onto the ground and at the end of the light is where you knew that the end of the ledge was so that kind of worked well as well. Like that yeah, was like a, really good. Yeah, it was like an air. It was like an airport runway, <laughs> <laughs> but for like yeah. jumping off of sidewalks for skateboarding. <laughs> it was really cool looking. Yeah. Wow, I, I give you guys so oh, much credit. Oh, what else do we do? Uh, we were working with sound a little bit too. Hey Curtis, like we bought some. We were. Uh, we yeah. were. We tried sound beacons, um, uh, kind of as well, and. That wasn't really one of the most popular ones, um, <laughs> and there. And as we were working with it, we found some some uh, issues with it. I guess you could say, and just some some different things. So, I mean, it wasn't the most popular this round, but it's for sure still an option in the future. And I mean, it's just another excuse and another way to find better ways to improve it, right? Yeah, yeah. because I know I actually did an episode uh, a little while ago on trail orienteering, which is kind of a somewhat okay. growing sport here in the U.S., where blind people actually use the Microsoft Soundscape app, if you're familiar with that. And it's right. basically, yeah. like you said, with the beacons and how it can guide you just via sound, and I'm kind of envisioning perhaps something similar, you know, with skateboarding. Totally. And actually, we've been talking with another pro or amateur skateboarder, an amateur blind skateboarder in the States by the name of uh, Justin Bishop. And he's actually a big time user of sound. He's totally blind. He has RP. Hmm. I don't know if he's totally blind. I shouldn't speak for him, but he's really low vision with uh, RP. And his, his one of his main techniques is actually sound, but he had an engineering company called Not Impossible. 
develop a, a sound beacon that is, it's, this is really engineering and I'm, I'm horrible with engineering, but uh, sound that is really directional. So not, not just blasting sound up into the air, but he has this machine that it makes a wall of sound. So if you're skateboarding by, you come into this wall of sound, you don't hear it before and you don't hear it after, but you hear it right when you're next to it. And so for someone who would like a sound beacon to know when to say Ollie, if they're going to jump down a set of stairs, that's kind of how he does right. a lot of his skateboarding. So in terms of sound beacons, like what we did was like pretty rudimentary or like um, underdeveloped, I guess. But if we, if we did find kids who did prefer to use sounds, I mean, we have this option to explore this machine that Justin Bishop uses with his company to then develop that further and really get... I mean, then we, and then we have all these senses. We have underfoot, you know, kind of tactile feedback. We have high contrast strips and guidelines and markers. Um, then we have LED lights flashing maybe directionally or um, blinking as, to warn about hazard. Or, and then the color that is involved with LED lighting. And then if we have sound coming in, we're just approaching skateboarding with all the different senses, kind of like how a bat, you know, hunts for insects, you know, flying around in the forest at night. They're using all this air pressure and sound and all this stuff. So, yeah. And honestly, like, Curtis, wouldn't you agree that our creativity in terms of adapting skateboarding for low is, is only just begun? And oh, super excited. 100%. Yeah, totally. Awesome. And I just got to give you guys so much credit for thinking outside the box, thinking creatively. I mean, there's so many things that, you know, we've talked about here already and and probably even far more uh, to make this type of activity, you know, fully accessible for someone with high, you know, who's high partial to total blindness. Yeah, totally. That's the goal. Yeah, that is the overall goal. And we, and as I had mentioned to you before, we kind of are hoping to work with people who have uh, no vision or um, different levels of vision. Um, and also another big thing that we were wanting to do is work with people who may have uh, no color vision because a lot of uh, our stuff is contrast and color-based as well, right? So totally, yeah. There's, there's still so, so much experimenting that we have to do. No question. Yeah. Okay. Then to wrap up here, I definitely want to give both of you time to to promote any kind of website, social media that you guys have. Uh, you know, for anyone interested to learn more about everything you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we are on Instagram on at uh, altroadprojects.ca, and we have a website which is altroute.ca which um, when you plug it into your browser um, we are on YouTube as well just under altroute projects and in terms of contacting if they need reach out via uh, Instagram or via email at info at altroute.ca and then I should put um skatebats.ca yeah um, and then just at skatebats on Instagram awesome. or you'll just see me with my goofy little promotional videos <laughs> <laughs> or and, or you'll see uh, Curtis uh, skateboarding <laughs> and me falling off my skateboard <laughs> hey even better right <laughs> another yeah, reason totally. for people to check it out yo cool and I'll certainly include links to all that in the show notes for this episode uh, so everyone can easily get that info 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Sure thing. And uh, once again, we've been chatting with Matt Jans and Curtis Ruddle of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and everything that they're doing uh, to make skateboarding accessible to the blind and visually impaired. So uh, really appreciate your time, guys, and thanks so much for joining me here on Eyes Free Sports. Yeah, thanks for having us. No worries at all. It was great to chat with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.